Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The murder of Letitia King. Tuesday, February 12, 2008. Oxnard, California. Warning. The following episode you're about to listen to will contain evidence of misgendering. Listening discretion is advised. You can see the collective worry on their faces. These parents anxiously waited for their children to be let out of school, hoping their youngsters had not been hurt by a teenage gunman who shot and wounded a 15-year-old boy. I was in the PE area, and I just heard it because a friend called their brother on a cell phone, and they told him what happened. That's all I know. Police say the shooting happened inside a computer lab at Neo Green Junior High in Oxnard, California, a town about 65 miles northwest of Los Angeles. The school district says 22 other students witnessed the gunfire. 14-year-old Jocelyn Salinas says she knows the victim. I'm just, I'm just very devastated that he got shot because he's my friend. Salinas and more than a thousand students like her sat waiting for hours inside the confines of the school, kept on lockdown, while authorities made sure everything was safe. During that time, many moms and dads could not contact their kids. They're not allowed to use cell phones, and uh, you know, in an emergency like that, sometimes I was calling and calling, and they wouldn't pick up because they're not allowed. One by one, parents who had waited outside in the hot sun since the morning filed in, collected their children. The first thing I did is took up my car and came around, and I noticed it was um, a lockdown in school, and that's what the police said. So I just waited a while till. Um, one of the policemen came and gathered everybody at the park right there. In cases like this, we don't know exactly what we have. We don't know if it's isolated, or maybe there's different things happening simultaneously in different classrooms. So the, the, the important thing was to, to lock it down, which we did. Police arrested a 14-year-old for pulling the trigger. Officers found him only blocks away from the middle school. He could face an attempted murder charge. It's premature, I think, at this point to determine the motive. The Oxnard police spokesman says the two boys had been in some kind of dispute before the shooting happened. Police are not releasing either the suspect or the victim's names. Authorities say the junior high school does not have metal detectors to prevent weapons from being brought on campus. John Moe, the Associated Press, Oxnard, California. It's Tuesday in Oxnard, California, just 80 miles north of Los Angeles. It's February 12, 2008, just two days before Valentine's. 15-year-old 
African-American, gender non-conforming, and also transgender teen, 15-year-old Letitia King, had went to school that day. She had an assignment on a World War II project that was due. Her teacher, Don Boulding, encouraged her and the rest of her classmates, including 14-year-old cisgendered male, white supremacist, Brandon McKerney. The two had this complex history of fighting with each other. It all stemmed back around Halloween of 2007, just about four months before the hateful homicide. Letitia, at this time, also was going by Larry. At this time in 2007-2008, when the hateful homicide occurred, there was still this very misunderstanding of gender expression and gender identity. And so a lot of the evidence that we're going to hear throughout this episode, again, welcome my audience, thank you for tuning in. Um, A lot of things that we're going to hear um, is going to be in reference from a period where um, Letitia wasn't quite fully able to express herself um, as Letitia, but we do have evidence and I'm going to be sharing that information with you all um, on where we did uncover that Letitia was truly wanting to be herself in that space. And um, that's going to be also given in some testimony from Don Bolding, the teacher where the hateful homicide occurred. Um, she was the teacher in the classroom. Um, and so what's really heartbreaking about this case as we prepare to go through it today is we really understand this complexity of sexuality sexual orientation, gender expression, and gender identity. And I think what we need to start having a conversation around, which we haven't in um, some of our other cases, is really interwoven these concepts of sexual sexuality, sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. How do they all come together? And so you see this, you know, quite clearly in the hateful homicide of Letitia. You know, and so as we go through this case, this deadly Valentine, because what happened, this precipitating factor that led to this Tuesday morning murder would be, you know, the fact that Letitia had actually reached out to Brandon. This was one of the things that had happened um, just a few days before. And you're going to hear testimony throughout this case where, um, that was evident it had occurred on the basketball court just the week before. Also, Don Bolding will also share some evidence of Letitia been given a dress the Friday before the hateful homicide and how some students had learned of this and teachers and, you know, so there's so many different factors that leads to this Tuesday morning murder. But the thing is, is that um, Larry as well as Letitia, did not die on February 12th. Letitia would lay in a coma, medically induced, for two days, and then would pass away on the afternoon of Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2008, at the Oxford County Medical Facility. The biggest picture, right, we know who committed this hateful homicide of Letitia, but what we wanted to understand, the detectives on this case and, and the classmates and everyone else wanted to understand was 
why did this happen? What made this 14-year-old cisgendered male go into the classroom, this computer lab at this middle school, E.O. Green Middle School, on that February 12th morning? And again, you're going to hear some testimony, again, from the instructor, Dunn Bolding, and she talks about like this, the morning of the murder, and she talks about how she's in the computer lab and the exchange between herself and Brandon and the exchange between Brandon and Leticia and then just how all of this unfolded and ultimately leading in Leticia's murder. And so my audience, you know, this case really involves this complexity of mental health too that we need to take a look into. This supremacy complex, Brandon McKinney um, had also checked out a book at the library called My Kampf from Adolf Hitler, um, which is a book that's very heavily referenced white supremacy. And so, you know, Letitia, who was this beautiful black trans woman, lighter skin complected, 15 year old teenager, you know, she heard Brandon definitely had to- totally different intersectionalities. And you can see this unfold um, between the two. But I want to go backwards a little bit. I want to go back to October 31st of 2007. This was Halloween, and it was also a time where the school dance was about to happen. And so at this time, 14-year-old Letitia, um, who was known for wearing her makeup and her jewelry and into into and as we go into this because I just also want to add really quickly that the school was actually in support of Letitia's gender expression and gender fluidity. The school superintendent, Sue Parsons at the time of Oxnard County had mentioned that and to the teachers um, of Letitia that Letitia was allowed to wear jewelry and express as female. And so this email was sent out to the entire school, to Letitia's teachers, and also made a note of the bullying that was going on. The bullying specifically began to take more place again around October 31st of 2007. Letitia had always been very feminine and expressive, but when she went up to Brandon for the first time, um, that's noted by classmates and witnesses, she goes up and she asks Brandon to be her date to the winter dance, which would have been coming up a couple months later in December. Well, according to the witnesses, Brandon, who had not really, um, was not known for being very welcoming of classmates who were not white, um, you know, gave Letitia this look of anger and hatred, pushes Letitia to the ground, stands over her, looks her in the face and says, don't you ever come to me again, you effing N-word. And so that was their first exchange, right? This exchange of hatred and bigotry already associated with Letitia's race. And Letitia, who had this crush on Brandon was really hoping that Brandon would come around and in time be drawn to Letitia. Well, 
fast forward to the winter formal of December 15th, 2007. Brandon goes with another girl and Letitia is heartbroken and confronts Brandon at the winter formal dance. And this leads to another heated exchange. And in between this time, between October 31st and December 15th, there was this campaign of bullying that happened towards Letitia. Brandon, who was very well liked in class and um, considered somewhat popular, the bad boy class clown, would never get his assignments turned in on time and was actually being reprimanded in the computer lab at the time of the hateful homicide of Letitia King. And so, you know, they go into this campaign of bullying towards Letitia. She is tormented physically. This is also the beginning era of social media and online campaigning of bullying, MySpace bullying for Letitia. She faced this daily. And so she goes to the dance on that Friday night and dances and sees Brandon there with his friend Katie and she confronts Brandon not only about the incident on Halloween at that dance but then also just the campaign of bullying that she had been dealing with and she was really hoping that the two could maybe mend fences or come to a place of understanding and so one of the things that Letitia noted in that confrontation on December 15, 2007 was her birthday, which was just a month shy, and also Brandon's birthday. They both shared a birthday in January. And so Letitia was hoping that she could do a nice gesture um, for Brandon's upcoming birthday the following month in 2008, and Brandon was not having it. He was very adamant that he wanted nothing to do with Letitia and was very determined to continue a campaign of hate. But Letitia was not going to allow Brandon to torment her. She fought back. She struck back as teachers and classmates would recall. Brandon would make a racial slur, a homophobic gesture. He would get classmates as well. And we're going to hear testimony from classmates who would state that they would call Letitia very derogatory and inflammatory names on behalf of Brandon's request. And so Letitia, who did have friends in school as well, and also had a teacher like Don Bolding who supported her, um, continued to stand in her truth and she fought back and she would speak back and also continue to raise awareness on her middle school campus regarding the bigotry and you know ignorance from Brandon and her classmates. But that wasn't enough. And so then we go into New Year's of 2008. We're just a month shy from the hateful homicide of Letitia King. And there's this online campaign. There's a Facebook, excuse me, MySpace message that is sent to Letitia on January 1st, 2008 from Brandon McGurney. And he says in that message, you are so dead, you don't even know it. That message becomes really key and pivotal in this case because it is a factor in determining if this was premeditated. As we go through these cases, right, one of the things that we discuss is the eligibility of hate crimes. We have to also keep in mind the statute of um, the era. 2008, um, the year that Letitia was murdered, 
there was not a statue fully in um, California for gender identity and or gender expression. So when she was murdered, when this hateful homicide happened on February 12th of 2008, detectives had to determine as well as prosecutors of this case had to determine how to proceed with charging Brandon. There was a determination rather to determine uh, whether to charge Brandon with the murder as an adult or as a juvenile. He was charged as an adult for second degree murder. The hate crime statute would fall under sexual orientation and or sexual identity. Since at the time of the hateful homicide, Letitia was also identifying as Larry and not fully out as trans, but more gender fluid and gender expressive, though we would uncover from um, determine and understand from classmates and close friends that Letitia did feel very much as a binary trans woman and was leading towards that. But unfortunately, that was cut short on the morning of February 12, 2008. But detectives wanted to know, would this be a hate crime? Well, again, Brandon was charged on February 20th of 2008 as a adult for the hateful homicide of Letitia King. And he goes to trial. He pleads not guilty, even though eyewitnesses knows that he walked into the classroom on the morning around 8.30 a.m. Dunbolding notes that Brandon, who was in trouble for not completing his assignment, was placed in the corner. So everyone else who, because this was the final date for the paper, for the World War II project, it was, you know, started over the winter holidays, and so it was due. And they were given the day to submit any final, you know, edits and um, submissions. And so Don Bolding allowed them to go to the computer lab Brandon, who was notorious for not completing any of his assignments, did not complete that assignment as well and was placed in, you know, timeout. And Letitia, who was known for having some learning disabilities, but also had the support of, you know, um, learning specialists, was getting this assignment completed and was at her computer. Dawn goes over to assist another student when all of a sudden she hears, as well as the 22 students in the classroom, hears and sees Brandon get out of his chair, approaches Letitia, stands behind her with a 22 revolver, and pulls the gun twice, killing Letitia. She remained alive and was placed in a medically induced coma and succumbed to her injuries on Thursday, February 14th of 2008. Dawn states when she first heard the two bangs or the first bang that she thought it was like the computer exploding and that she didn't think that a murder had just happened. But then Brandon fired the gun a second time splatter all over the classroom. Students shocked and shocked. Don immediately asks Brandon, what happened? What are you doing? Brandon flees out of the classroom, goes two blocks down from EO Green Middle School. Don notifies the, the office staff. They call 911. 
students are then placed to leave out of the school. Letitia's body slumped over at the computer desk. This 15-year-old trans teen of color is brutally slain for asking Brandon to the Valentine's Day dance. Well, according to Brandon's friends and even his mother, Kendra, when Letitia had went up to Brandon that Friday on February 9th of 2008 and asked Brandon out there on the basketball courts to be her Valentine's, this was the final straw. Brandon goes home, talks to his mother and his older brother and discusses the anger and fury that he has over this black trans teen who continues in his mind hitting on him. Something had to be done. And Brandon knew that he had one opportunity and that was going to be that Tuesday. He only shared a couple of classes with Letitia. You have to remember this is middle school, so they have different class periods and it's what they call a block schedule. So kids will have certain classes on one day and then certain classes on another day. And so that was the the structure of this middle school. And Brandon had Letitia on two days, which would have been Tuesdays and Thursdays. And that Tuesday was, again, the day of the, the, the assignment, this World War II assignment was due. And so Letitia um, was looking forward to the Thursday Valentine's Day school dance. And Brandon was determined to make sure that Letitia would not attend the dance as well as, you know, be able to go with him. And so we see this, this series of events unfold that morning. And it's really heartbreaking because Letitia was so excited. Um, classmates and again, instructor Don Bolding recalls that Friday when she asks Brandon to the Valentine's Day dance and then she gets this dress from Don. And one of the goals Letitia was hoping was to be able to wear that dress to the school dance. And though there was not a school dress code policy, for Letitia to go uh, to express as feminine, fully feminine. She was allowed to wear makeup, nail polish, and um, things of that nature, but to fully dress on um, in feminine clothing or female expressive clothing was um, still debatable at that time. And Sue Parsons, the superintendent, was trying to figure out how she wanted to um, unpack that. But nonetheless, Letitia was super excited about the opportunity of being able to go to the dance, possibly wearing this dress given to her by Don Bodie. Uh, and unfortunately, again, on the morning of Tuesday, February 12, 2008, this hateful homicide would bestow Letitia and she would be slain with two gunshot wounds to the back of the head. And I think we have to continue to ask ourselves why, right? Like, how did this happen? How did this hateful homicide unfold? What led to Brandon wanting to kill Letitia? Again, I mentioned this precipitating factor, this deadly Valentine of Letitia going out on that Friday, February 9th, and asking Brandon to be her Valentine. But... You know, we have to also look into Brandon a little bit too, this 14-year-old cisgendered male 
and understand a little bit about who he was. And I also want to dive a little bit into who Letitia was as well. But Brandon David McKinney was born on January 24th of 1994 in Ventura, California. His mother, Kendra, again, was addicted to meth. Um, And she was also accused of violence within the home, shooting Brandon's father, William, with uh, a 45 caliber, you know, just a year before Brandon's birth. Um, She was also just known for stealing medicine from her children, including ADHD medicine. Um, And so she would go in and out of rehab, in and out of jail. His father, William, also was addicted to drugs. And so the mother and father had this history of violence. And Brandon and his older brother was exposed to this. And so his father was also known for white supremacy. He encouraged his sons to very much be insular in racial thinking. He very much felt like anyone who was a racial minority was irrelevant. However, what has always fascinated me with this case was the fact that Brandon was going to a school that was diverse, right? And so it's interesting to me that his father, William, who was very much a proponent for white supremacy and encouraged his sons and his wife to also um, believe in white supremacy and to behave with white supremacy antics because one of the things that we do know from this case is that Brandon would you know refer to Letitia with racial epithets and slurs and so all of this right this nature versus nurture we talk about this as upbringing when we think of the victims and we think of the perpetrators and and how all of this collides into this hateful homicide and it does not excuse Brandon's behavior, but it gives you this psychological input into who this young man was, because we're trying to figure out how does a 14-year-old get a gun, right? There was no school detectors. The school was considered relatively safe. Um, There was, it wasn't a school for like at-risk youth or um, youth with violent offenses. So the fact that this crime happened at EO Green Middle School in Oxford, California was again, very shocking. It, it really riveted this community um, and really made them take a look into how safe is safe. And apparently and unfortunately, as we go back to that morning of February 12, 2008, the school was not safe. And though the you know school board and the district was doing things and putting policies and procedures into place to support Letitia, it still wasn't enough to be able to defend the bullying in school and cyberbullying that she was facing as a trans teen of color. The disrespect and disregard that she would face, even by the hands of some teachers too. You know, we have to also look at some of the adults um, in this case, including Brandon's parents. Um, and though there will be an expression of remorse from Brandon's mother to Letitia's family, there's still this level of defense of Brandon, you know, almost, and, and you'll see this throughout this case where 
there's almost this blaming and we and you know we've talked about this in season one season two now of where the victim gets blamed well Letitia was hitting on Brandon how could she not get the picture of understanding you know that Brandon wasn't interested he was a white supremacist like that alone should have kept her away but again we have to also go into the background of Letitia King and really understand this beautiful trans teen this 15 year old trans teen who was murdered just a month after turning 15 by Brandon McGurney again we have Letitia Forbes King also known as Larry, was born on January 13, 1993 at the Ventura County Medical Center in Ventura, California. Letitia's upbringing was very unstable, very much like Brendan's. She was adopted at the age of two by Gregory and Don King. Her biological father abandoned Letitia's mother. Both also were drug addicts. Um, and so they were unable to care for Letitia and Letitia was then adopted by Gregory and Don King. And like Brandon, Letitia was also described, prescribed medication for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, also known as ADHD. According to Letitia's adoptive father, Gregory, um, when Letitia was diagnosed with this reactive attachment disorder, This is a condition in which a child fails to develop relationships with their caregivers. Um, This placed Letitia with a learning disability as well. And so Letitia would have to go to repeat the first grade. And this would then place her a year behind, placing her in the same grade level as 14-year-old Brandon David McKinney. And you also just look at these events of the past, right? You go back to the late 90s when Letitia would have been a youth, early grade school, first grade, and you think if she would have not been held back a year, would she had encountered Brandon? Would she had still been in middle school and this hateful homicide would have occurred? We don't know, but nonetheless, it did. That's what happened. And one of the things that we want to, you know, take a look into is just what was going on for Letitia at this time? This this youth who was given up by her biological parents by the age of one and then adopted. But again, I, I gave you all this historical time scope of 2007 around Halloween. But I also want to go back into 2007 and take a look into that November. Letitia um, was placed on probation for theft and vandalism. Um, And she was also removed from her adoptive home and placed into a group home um, at a treatment facility known as Casa Pacifica. Um, Apparently, Letitia had alleged that her adoptive father, Gregory King, was being physically abusive. And though Gregory has denied this, um, this was the, the, uh, an event that led to Letitia being removed from the home. And so at the time of the hateful homicide, you know, Letitia was then, she was homeless. She was basically living in a, a shelter um, for, for youth. And, and, and that was her living experience. And so the only support that she felt that she had at that time was classmates who were affirming, as well as a couple of teachers like Don Bolding. Well, you know, again, she had had bullying occurring 
you know, in other schools. But it definitely continued around 2007, again, when she had, you know, went to E.O. Green Junior High School. And, you know, she was wearing women's accessories and clothing, um, cis women's accessories and clothing. And, you know, she also had a younger brother named Rocky, um, who was also suffering from bullying due to Letitia's identity, gender identity and expression. And so, again, the school was, you know, very supportive of Letitia's gender expression and gender identity. And the email was sent out a formal notice to every teacher on January 29th of 2008. This was literally like two weeks before the hateful homicide. And again, Sue Carson's read in part, quote, we have a student on campus who has chosen to express by wearing makeup. It is their right to do so. Some kids are finding it amusing. Others are bothered by it. As long as it does not cause classroom disruptions, the child is within their rights. We are asking you to talk to your students about being civil and non-judgmental. They don't have to like it, but they need to give the space that the student deserves. We are asking you to watch for possible problems. Again, this was sent out on January 29th of 2008, just two weeks before the hateful homicide of Letitia King. And so again, now I want to take, you know, just a moment into going into the trial a little bit more about this case and again, discussing the possibility of hate crimes and the eligibility for that in this hateful homicide of Letitia King. You're thinking about exactly what constitutes a hate crime. It involves two middle school students, one gay, the other straight. In February 2008, the straight kid allegedly pulled out a gun in class and killed the gay student. It's not alleged. He did it. Everyone saw him. Now 17, he is on trial as an adult for murder. His life now in the balance. A reporter, Vince Gonzalez, reports on the crime and its consequences. Students marched in Oxnard, California, in memory of Lawrence Larry King, a 15-year-old student police say was gunned down by a classmate because he was openly gay. King's murder shocked the Southern California community. It's inconceivable that anybody could be that angry at a kid that was that nice. He's remembered as friendly and outgoing, but fellow students say he became the subject of taunts and bullying in school after speaking out about his sexual orientation and reportedly wearing makeup, lipstick, and jewelry to school. Yeah, that was a very small part of Larry and um, just one facet of his life. But the situation apparently escalated. And on February 12, 14-year-old Brandon McInerney allegedly shot King in the head in the school's computer lab. It was Larry. was arrested a few blocks away from campus a short time later. It's over, it's over. King was pronounced brain dead at a local hospital. His body was kept alive so his organs could be donated. At the school where McInerney allegedly shot King, some parents say it's time to teach more tolerance in California classrooms. It's sad, but it's not just this district. It's every district. Something really has to be implemented. For CNN, Vince Gonzalez in Los Angeles. You know, at first it looked like a simple hate crime, but as students and teachers testified at the trial last week, a much more complicated picture has begun to emerge.
We talked about this tragic case with clinical psychologist Jeff Gardier and reporter Zeke Barlow with the Ventura County Star. The biggest thing that's come out so far is that the day before is when things sort of came to a head. I mean, other students had said that Larry would cast these sort of gazes and, and make up with what you will, but they cast these gazes at Brandon, and Brandon was obviously uncomfortable with it. And um, many students would say that Larry would push his sexuality on people who were uncomfortable with it. It was his way of giving back to the boys who were taunting them. He'd give a little back to them. Um, but in the, the rumors flying around school the day before the shooting was that um, Larry said in a crowded, cl crowded classroom to Brandon, he said, I love you, baby. There's another rumor that he asked if he is Valentine. The shooting happened two days before Valentine's Day. And another shooting that he, or excuse me, another rumor that he was blowing kisses to Brandon as well. It's very sad uh, that we look at Larry's behavior and say that he was the one who was being antagonistic. Uh, of course, I wasn't there, but I can only imagine that being gay, uh, he described himself as gay, that he was probably harassed so many times, and this was his way of fighting back the best way he can. What we know about uh, Brandon, who uh, is the alleged killer, is that uh, he came from a very difficult background. Uh, there was alcohol, there was domestic violence as he was growing up, so this was already a young man who was at risk. Uh, there are some rumors, and this may come out in court, uh, that uh, there may have been some sort of influence by white supremacy uh, person or group in uh, some of the, the things that this young man read. So he was a very angry, angry young man. Uh, this should not have happened. Uh, more attention should have been given to him and what his psychological issues were. Okay, do you know, do you know, Zeke, where he might have gotten a gun? And also we're hearing that he may have told other students that he was going to do this. If so, is that premeditated? Uh, he got the gun from either his home or his grandfather's home. He had said that uh, the, the defense has said all along that, that, that Brandon did this, and he came from a home where uh, drugs and violence and guns were common and commonplace. And uh, a student testified earlier in the week that... Um, a student testified that he had said to them, I can shoot anybody at anybody any time I want to because it's easy for me to get guns. And the day before, he told a different person, uh, his friend, he told him that um, he told him he's going to bring a gun to school the next day. And that next day, Letitia King would be shot in the back of the head twice, brain dead, organs donated as the kind and generous young she was and be buried just within a week you know when we think about this case again these questions that were posed where did Brandon get the gun did his family know did his grandfather his father right did they all encourage Brandon to go take matters into his own, own hand and things once and for all we don't know but again, you have to just really delve into just this historical trauma of race, sexuality, sexual identity, gender expression, gender identity. Letitia, though not fully out and open, was trans and didn't get a chance to be able to fully live her life. It was cut short. And again, an interesting you know, what pulled me into this case as well, just on a personal note, is that Letitia and I actually share the same birthday. So we both were born January 13th. I was born in 1990 and she was born in 1993. And so, you know, I resonate with her because that year in 2008 was my senior year 
of high school in Montgomery, Alabama. And I think to myself, I, you know, I was, I began my gender journey in 2006. So I was, I was 16 and a teenager in high school. And I think to myself, like, what if a classmate had done that to me? All because I'm just living my truth. And so, you know, it, it pulls to you because she didn't get to live her life as Letitia. And so many of us don't get to live our lives as our true selves. And then we have to also ask the question, was Brandon attracted to Letitia? Yes, we know that he outwardly states that he is racist and transphobic and homophobic and any other phobic you can think of. But that doesn't take away from attraction. You can be all those things and still be attracted to someone from a different race. You can be all those things and still be attracted to someone who has a different gender identity and expression. So we know all of that to be true. And it's called internal, you know, phobia that that he most likely has. And that's something he has had to continue to work on his life now as a 27-year-old cisgendered man who is still currently incarcerated. But, you know, it's just those are the questions that are really important to think about because it's not fair to blame Letitia for fighting back, for speaking up. She has every right to flirt words as her words. And, you know, at the end of the day, she never said anything hateful to Brandon Wright, unlike him, who was spewing this campaign of hatred and bigotry. And unfortunately, that would lead to murder on the morning of February 12, 2008. And so as we prepare to conclude, there's a couple of other things that I wanna share with you. I wanna share with you just again, some ideas of you know what was going on with Brandon at this time, and then also some final words from Letitia's teacher, as well as Brandon's teacher, who was at the scene of the hateful homicide, this deadly Valentine's Day murder, uh, Don Boldy. So again, just, you know, I thank you all so much for tuning in to this case and just raising awareness around this idea of our trans teens and gender non-conforming teens who are being silenced before their lives can even begin, especially in one of the places that are supposed to be safe and affirming, such as school. Somebody said that he went on to the basketball court in front of all Brandon's friends and bears him and asked him to be his valentine. His lawyer argued Brandon was misunderstood. That Hitler book came from the school library for a World War II book report. But Brandon, who was once an honor student, had been falling behind in school. Both his parents were addicted to drugs. Brandon's father was beating him violently, according to his brother. He was a little kid who just got pushed to the brink. So in your view, he just lost it? Yeah. But after eight weeks of testimony, who would the jury believe? Was Brandon a cold-blooded homophobic killer who should spend the rest of his life in jail? Or did he just snap in the heat of the moment, which would make him manslaughter, making him eligible for parole in his 40s? They deliberated for four days, but couldn't agree on a verdict. A hung jury, a mistrial. These jurors are speaking out together for the first time. They all believe Brandon should never have been charged as an adult. And, you know, we're going to go through this and I'm going to continue to share this in just a moment. But I just want to kind of, you know, caution you that the juries in the initial trial, you know, we have to remember this is, you know, north of, of L.A. And so it's a different mindset. And this was 2008. This was the very beginning of our, you know, LGBTQ rights in California. 
the fight for that, um, especially in terms of marriage equality. So there was a lot of this beginning at this time. So I'm just giving you all an idea of the mentality that some of these individuals are going to have um, regarding uh, Brandon as well as Letitia. How many of you were convinced it was a hate crime? Not even close. Why do you shake your head, Nancy? It was, to me, way off base. Don't forget, there was a boy who also lost his life. Shot in the head. Never. Not as a group. Not as individuals. Never. Brandon's mom has been sober for six years. She's never spoken on national TV, but says she's now trying to make up for being what the defense called a terrible mother. What would you say to Larry's family? I'm sorry we had this happen. They don't get to go visit Larry, and I know that. They don't get to go wrap their arms around Larry. And I think about it every day. Prosecutors say they want to try Brandon again for murder as an adult, arguing he is capable of killing again. But Don Boldrin, who's the... And so, again, we take a look into this case and we understand that he is capable of killing again. And this is from, you know, psychologist and psychiatrist testimony saying that he has this very psychotic behavior and violent behavior that would lead to him committing a hateful homicide of someone of the trans experience and anyone of a marginalized community. He would commit that type of murder again if released. I personally believe that Brandon David McInerney would and should not be released um, in any way. And, you know, the instructor, the teacher in the classroom at the time, Don Boldine, um, again, she's a huge supporter for Letitia, and we're going to hear about that. Um, but she also was torn about Brandon. You know, her and Brandon didn't have the closest relationship, but she also factored in his age. And I think for her, um, for someone who has not went into, back into teaching, um, she, you know, would no longer teach after this hateful homicide. It was too traumatic for her. Um, but she shares in an interview with Dr. Drew, you know, just, you know, her own experience that, you know, the, the account of this hateful homicide, but then also just what she has went through um, since this incident. And so we, it's just important, again, as we think about the impact of these hateful homicides, and I mentioned when we had season two, episode two, the hateful homicide of Kadari, you know, and we heard Kadari's mother and, you know, in this anguish. And you can hear this even in someone who wasn't a relative of Letitia's, just a teacher who had just given Letitia a dress for the Valentine's Day dance three days before. And so again, it's just so heartbreaking. But again, as we prepare to conclude, I wanted to share some final words with you all from Don Boldy. I'm, I'm just ask, the way I left it was too difficult. Well, so I take me back to that day. As, 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 without harming yourself or anybody else, please take us through what happened that day. Um, it's your normal day. We all got into the classroom. We've been working on a paper, a uh, World War II essay for about two and a half, three weeks. And it was, this is the last day it was due. And I was having them type it. So I had to provide, in essence, the time for the computer in the computer lab, which is, we've been going back and forth in the computer lab. And Larry's in your class. And Larry's in my class. Where's the other kid? And Brandon's in my class too. They actually sat almost in the same row, but Brandon was behind him and Larry was up in the front. And he just gets up and 
discuss this thing? Well, that was, I'm talking about my regular class. We'd already walked, after when the shooting happened, we were in the computer lab, and the computer lab is set up just much like a computer lab. Brandon was sitting up towards the door on his own because he, I didn't allow him to work on the computer that day. He didn't bring his report, so he couldn't work on the computer. Larry was literally sitting in front of him, working on his computer. Did he pull this weapon out of a bag or something? Or I did didn't even see him pull the gun. You just heard. I was on the other side of the classroom working with the other another student, and I think out of the side, I might have seen an action, but I definitely heard the shot. It smelled. You could smell it. It was just like fireworks. And, and what did you do? Um, and I turned around and yelled at Brandon, and I asked him what the hell he was doing, because I thought he had exploded the computer. Um, and I yelled at Brandon because he was standing. When All the other first, kids are sitting. When did you first see Larry? I never saw Larry. You I saw never saw... I don't even know if I saw the gun. I can't actually go through all. So much happened, I still don't even know all that could have happened. Did you just clear the classroom at that point? Absolutely. Once, so that was your next move? It was after I realized when he fired the second shot and I had yelled at him. Um, he just walked out of the actual classroom. He dropped the gun. I, that's what they say. And the gun was just laying there. And I grabbed those kids and we ran out of the, into another hallway. Okay, well, reports say Lawrence King was had been wearing women's jewelry and makeup in the seventh grade, and bullying intensified, as I understand. The school couldn't stop him uh, from expressing his sexual identity because there were gender there were laws that prevent gender discrimination. Just weeks before his shooting death, an eighth grade assistant principal sent a memo to every teacher and said the following: "We have a student on campus who has chosen to express his sexuality, and I want to stop there and say his." his uh, sexual identity is really more accurate by wearing makeup and it is right to, his right to do so. Some kids are finding it amusing, others are bothered by it. As long as it does not cause classroom disruptions, he is within his rights. My understanding is, Don, you actually actually gave him some clothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, on when I had found out, I guess it's just more complicated. I gave Larry a dress. Um, one of my my older daughter's homecoming dress. And um, when I gave it to him, I gave it to him in private on the Friday prior to the shooting because a lot of people seem to be under the misunderstanding that Larry was running around in this dress. Um, it was not dress code, and Larry did adhere to the dress code. Um, what kind of kid was Larry? Larry was a good kid. He was very sweet, very kind, very respectful to me. I'm sure he was just like every other kid, and he pushed limits and boundaries, but he most definitely didn't push them in my classroom. We remember you, Letitia King, born January 13th, 1993, and resting on Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2008. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, Forever and always, we will remember you, love, love. You continue to rest on. And again, thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of A Hateful Homicide. My name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Please follow us on Instagram at A Hateful Homicide. You can follow me at Mallory Jenna 90 And also please listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor every Saturday, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in and enjoy the rest of your day. 
and I look forward to chatting with you all next week. Thank you and have a great day.